You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Yes, I, I was Michael Johnson. When I applied to be an actor, there was a Michael Johnson. And uh, I had to choose another professional name. And uh, right at that time, Player's Cigarette brought onto the market a brand called York. And I thought, ha ha. Actor Michael York. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. For over five decades, Michael York has been a fixture in Britain and in the U.S. on television and in the movies. Starting the late 60s, he starred in a number of major hit movies, including Romeo and Juliet, Cabaret, Logan's Run. Younger fans may remember him best for his role in the Austin Powers movies. Austin, let me bring you up to speed. Dr. Evil has hijacked a nuclear warhead from Kreplakistan. In 1992, Michael York wrote his autobiography, a book called Accidentally on Purpose. And that's when I had the chance to meet him and talk with him for a few minutes. So here now from 1992, Michael York. Was the title yours? Yes. What does it mean? Well, it means um, that the best laid plans are, you know, tend to be pulled, the rug gets pulled from under you. Uh, things happen despite rather than because of. Um, and especially so in my profession, where there's no kind of logical progression from point A to point B. Maybe it's reflective of a life too, and that's why, why you know, it's nice to go back and, and uh, you know, dig up the past and find out to see if there is a kind of pattern. I was so relieved that this was not another dysfunctional childhood book in which you were going to tell us how beaten you were every night and how drunken your parents both came home every evening and things like that. Yours was a, a, a relatively normal and relatively sedate childhood. I hope so, yes. You know, one put down some strong roots. No, I think the nature of this book, um, it, it, it could have been a very different book. Uh, it would have meant portraying a lot of confidences. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I wanted to be as positive as possible. Uh, and, you know, I don't withhold the fact that there are dark moments and, you know, once, you know, a little bit of angst going on now and again. But I think, you know, you, I hopefully one learns from these things. Is, is that the, your approach to this book? Is that the difference, do you suppose, between a British upbringing and an American upbringing, where American entertainers seem to be eager to tell us everything that went on in their lives, no matter how dark and painful it was? Possibly. No, I think it's just the way you are. Um, I think it happens everywhere. And I think that is an instructive part of it. You know, if you have, I think the childhood uh, you know, pro proclaims the man. Um, but I think it's the degree to which you dwell on it. I've always, hopefully, this sounds kind of Pollyanna-ish, but, you know, try to learn from the downside. Because I see that the, the basic energy pattern in life is the wave. It's up and down, up and down, and that wave making energy. You can't expect to be on the top all the time, but you don't remain on the bottom either. But, you know... It, it, it's, again, you know, it's a pendulum swing. It's never keep still. Every book has a tone, of course, and I found in yours, my, my, my impression was of an emotional stability that I don't find in other books of this kind, other books that, that you, you close the book afterwards feeling tense somehow at, at 
wow, boy, he really had some problems. You know, and you come away shaking your head, but I came away from yours thinking, yes, you've had problems, very serious problems at times, crises, as we all have. But I felt settled. I felt rooted. I felt as though you handled it, I can handle it. Well, I'm glad, because that's certainly how I feel about it. I've had the good fortune to be rooted, you know, to be married for someone for 25 years, for example. And uh, despite this kind of crazy life, which I write about, you know, which living one's life and working all over the world, constantly peripatetic, dashing in and out, not being settled, not being rooted. Yet I did have the good fortune to have this emotional kind of centering, being you know, with a partner, because Pat, my wife, and I have always traveled together, shared things, for which I'm, you know, really grateful. I really feel as though I know her now, too. <laughs> she, said, she said to me, I think people are going to know a bit too much. But... <laughs> but uh, um, but obviously you edited your, yourself subconsciously or self-consciously writing a book. Um, uh, there's, you know, there's lots that one could have put in. But then again, I, uh, for example, I, I, I didn't keep a diary, but I kept letters. Um, I'm a kind of magpie about that. I think it takes, for me, a letter is such a kind of act of creation. Uh, that I couldn't willingly throw away, <laughs> you know, letters that have been written to me. And where possible, I've allowed that kind of narrative voice to take over. Because you do get fed up with the I, me, one persona. For example, I have Nick Meyer writing to me about the Kent State Massacre as it had happened, in this kind of white heat of the moment. Uh, outrage, and yet curiously optimistic that in this kind of awful, awful, you know, moment of the Vietnam War, he thought that the kids now would get involved, which indeed, you know, it happened. It was a turning point. Letters from Tennessee Williams, which I treasure, and uh, the Lady Maria St. Just has given me permission to use. Um, and other kind of odd letters that kind of bring insights that I that I was grateful grateful for. Did you know from a very early age that you wanted to be a thespian? No, by no means. I mean, it's something I enjoyed doing, but uh, just as an, uh, every kid who plays a bas with basketball or kicks a football around doesn't become do it professionally, I wasn't sure that this is what I wanted to do either. It was only later on, after university, after Oxford, which was, you know, very um, unofficial hotbed of acting, uh, in every sense, you know, Edinburgh Cabaret, and you know, we took ourselves seriously. And it struck me that you know, the performing plays was a good adjunct to their academic study. But it was only then I realized that if I didn't do it professionally, give myself, try it at least, I didn't want to live the rest of my professional life knowing, or knowing that I could have done it and hadn't dared. <laughs> And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and, um, you know, touch wood, it still seems to be. <laughs> <laughs> and one cigarette led to another, and uh, <laughs> Michael Johnson became Michael York. Oh, yes, thereby hangs a tale. Um, yes, I, I was Michael Johnson. I'm now rather grandly uh, Michael York Johnson. Uh, but I was just simple Michael Johnson, and when I applied to be an actor, there was a Michael Johnson. And... Uh, in fact, we worked together the other day, and he... Really? He's sort of a... He said, I'm sorry I got there first. <laughs> but 
I had to choose another name, professional name, and uh, it so happened that right at that time, Player's Cigarettes brought onto the market a brand called York, and I thought, ha-ha, it's been market research, it's a nice, crisp name, should have no problem in America with New York. Of course I did, It's because it's New York. <laughs> and <laughs> no one understands York. Um, and so it, that became my moniker. I'm fascinated by books like this that have those little tidbits of information that, that we feel like now we're insiders too, that we know something, that, that, that we know that Michael York turned down Love Story, and that we know that Logan's Run almost didn't get made. Uh, you know, <laughs> things like that. That that's, makes you feel kind of knowledgeable. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I mean, this, <laughs> this is trivia pursuit that's taken right. to ad absurdum. <laughs> yeah, and it, 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 it sounds, after having said it, it sounds terribly unfair to reduce this, this, this very carefully crafted book to two or three pieces of, of, of trivia, but uh, those are the things that, 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 that catch your fancy, the things that, that, that stand out. What was wrong with Love Story? Why didn't you, why didn't you immediately go for that? Well, I was, uh, you know, um, I'm, one point I make is, you know, this business is constantly beset with choice. Um, I think everyone has choices, but in particular, ours are happening, you know, on a, on a, on a more... F- <laughs> On a constant, almost a daily basis, fundamentally. If you do this, then your life goes shooting off in one direction. And if you don't, you know, you take something else. And, uh, love story came along. And, uh, um, I, I just, what I was saying that you, you build a, a set of instincts that you have to rely on. And, uh, you know, the, a, a green light. And instead of a green light, a kind of, uh, the yellow light came up, um, and uh, you know, if one had done it, it, may not have worked. Who knows? Because it's such a chemical equation making a film. You know, all these volatile substances thrown together in the mixing bowl, and sometimes there's a huge flash, other times a little fat. Who knows? Uh, you can't afford to speculate about the if-onlys. You just you stick by your decisions and go on. After this short break, Michael York on the one thing that can really be a career killer for an actor. Now back to my 1992 conversation with Michael York. You've always resisted being typecast. Are you bad? Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> is, is that death for an actor, to be typecast? Uh, for my type of actor, for my personality, yes. I think it's awful, because I think... The whole essence of the actor is that you should be able to put on as many masks as possible, to be as protean as possible. And it's too, unfortunately, too many casting directors do play safe, as happens now. Everyone wants to be in, you know, they want to put you in your little pigeonhole and tied down with a label. It's, it's, it's so boring. But you could watch Jesus of Nazareth, Cabaret, Logan's Run, you know, and name half a dozen other films, and you'll, there's, it, it's like watching that many different actors, different people, because there, there is no, uh, the, the, you show us a different side of you in, in each of those roles. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a nice compliment. That's the apprentice work, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm serious. That's, it's what's so wonderful is that as your range, as you, as you mature, so you go, you know, things open up. Um, so hopefully you go on till you you drop, as there's no retirement time either. How have you managed to stay in the in a business 
renowned, almost proud of its ability to break up marriages. How have you managed to stay married for so long to one woman? Well, I was very fortunate to marry the right woman. I think uh, we're very close. We share the same enthusiasms, but we're different enough to make, you know, uh, to make it interesting. Um, and there's a strange, there's always been a strange synchronicity in our lives. I mean, uh, when I was doing Romeo and Juliet for Zeffirelli, and I'd just met my wife, Pat, she was asked by Vogue to go go down there and photograph on the film. Um, it's no coincidence that she has a book out right now, a wonderful book called Going Strong, if I may give it a plug, where she photographed um, an interview. As a matter of fact, she was here recently. Oh, she was? I hope she mentioned my book. <laughs> <laughs> she mentioned you were coming, yes. Yes. I, I wish I had known, I wish I'd been able to read your book before I met her. Uh, yes, because, you know, she's she said the great thing about me going out on the road, she said, I didn't have to talk about myself. I could just talk about these wonderful people. Um, she but, is a wonderful photographer. Yeah, she's terrific. She really is. And I, I'm thrilled that um, her success with this book has given her encouragement to go on and do other things. Um, and she's got another tome in the works. Do you like what you see in movies today? I sense, and this is just from talking to people, there's a there's a kind of growing satisfaction that the the mirror being held up to nature by the media and by the especially by the f film media and especially by hollywood where you know which is the the great source is not reflecting the entire spectrum of you know human activity um it's a bit out of balance um I just sense a kind of malaise. I think it's no no uh, coincidence, for example, that one of the uh, prime Oscar contenders this year is a is a cartoon that appeals, you know, across the board, appeals to families and whatever. I really think there's too much violence. I've enough films with uh, the main protagonist you know, wielding weapons on the cover. I think that's. You know, it's appealing. It's appealing. It is part of humankind. You you can't ignore the violence in our society. But you know, I think you, you know, how like an angel Shakespeare said. You know, I think we should. There should be, you know, more, you know, more positive stuff. Not Pollyanna, but just just you know, open other windows. And that's equally. I regret that, as America is this great media behemoth. You know, there's one of the most successful cultural the most successful exports that america has because american culture is now almost universal culture i think it has a responsibility to you know clean up its act and i hope that the you know the windows of opportunity for foreign films uh won't be closed as it's tending to happen now have you ever done series television series no, I haven't. I've talked about it, in fact, um, because it is. I like to do things. I like to explore all the avenues, as I think I made plain in the book. <laughs> Rather, you know, wanting to regret the sins of commission than omission. No, I think that would be fascinating. Also, to, to do a job from home. But then again, I, I think you'd have to do something that you really, really loved 
because it's 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 fairly grueling, and also because it puts you into a uh, into a groove. And I've my attention span is now conditioned to uh, you know to want change. You know, three months and then something, or, or even less. But you can't really excel at something that you don't like, can you? Oh, gosh, that's uh, yes. That I, I mean that I doubt it. Um, I know that one has to compromise. Um, things aren't ideal. That uh, you know, you sometimes accept things that aren't entirely right, hoping against hope that something magical will happen, and sometimes it does. Um, and sometimes, you know, you are surprised that things happen accidentally or on purpose. That, uh, uh, and it happens both ways. I've often found that the, the great cast iron would-be successes are the things that don't turn out well, as, again, I describe in the book, and the most unexpected things are the ones that bear fruit. So it's a two-way system. Is there one question that you're asked everywhere you go by everybody you meet that you wish that you could answer it just one more time and you'd never have to hear it again? There is a question. People ask if Susanna York and I are, are related. And, uh, in fact, I write about this in the book. That we're so often asked that once when I was working with Susanna, I said it's, it's really too boring just to say no. So we invented this story that we were, in fact, the bastard offsprings of the Bishop of Warsaw. <laughs> but I, I, I've tried to keep to my side of it, but I doubt if she has. <laughs> Michael York is 80 now. He and his wife, Pat, live in Minnesota. And you can find easy Amazon links to Michael York's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And that's where you'll also find my 1991 interview with Michael York's would-have-been love story co-star, Ali McGraw. The first line of moving pictures is, love means never having to say you're sorry. With that lie, millions of boxes of Kleenexes were launched. I mean, the only time I didn't realize what an absurd line that was, was on, like, take 11, freezing cold on that porch where I had to say it. And my conversation with another fine actor from that same era, Charles Grodin. You, you really can't even... Uh... Uh, get anybody to talk to you. You can't even get anybody to say no. I mean, that's what's really uh, bizarre about this. You can't even get to the point where they'll reject you. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time, it's the 4th of July edition of Now I've Heard Everything, as we feature my 1992 interview with the founders of the group The Capital Steps, Elena Newport and Bill Strauss. Sometimes we can just take what the Congress does and add a little humor to it. Well, the challenge is being funnier than the politicians. It really is. I mean, we had a week back in 1987. Ollie North was testifying. Gary Hart got caught. And Tammy Faye Baker announced she had an air-conditioned doghouse. And we didn't sleep that week. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.